Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. I'm joined this week by Capital Research Center investigative researcher Hayden Ludwig, who spends his time studying the liberal networks funneling so-called dark money from major institutions and big donors into left-wing politics and policy. This week, he released a new piece at capitalresearch.org with a deep dive into neo-philanthropy, a liberal pass-through funding group. Hayden, uh, let's start off by addressing dark money. What is it? Sure, thanks, Mike. So there really is no clear definition of quote-unquote dark money. It's a bit of a conspiracy term, but it's generally applied to 501c4 advocacy nonprofits. And, and for, for those who might not be familiar, when you're talking about 501c4s, what are they allowed to do? What separates them from a traditional charity? Sure. So unlike traditional charities like what you call 501c3 public charities, 501c4s, um, they, ha- they are allowed to do a much uh, more significant amount of lobbying than a traditional uh, nonprofit. But the dark money element comes in because they're not required by the IRS to disclose their grantors. So effectively, what we call dark money really is any money uh, spent on free speech that the left wants to silence. Mm-hmm. And usually that's applied to center-right, conservative, or libertarian groups. But of course, the left has its dark money groups in spades. And, and neo-philanthropy isn't the only network that engages in that on the left, is it? That, that's exactly right. So we might probably apply this term to nonprofit networks that we identify as uh, dark money-esque, meaning that there's tie-ins between regular 501c3 groups and 501c4 groups. This might be uh, our work on Arabella Advisors or the more famous Tides Foundation, for instance, which have whole networks of these nonprofits that work in tandem with each other. Mm -hmm. So you've described neo-philanthropy as the left's dark money coordinator. Uh, Can you explain kind of what you mean by that? Yeah, so I call them a dark money coordinator because they're probably more notable for coordinating the spending of other groups' money than necessarily their own. That's not to say you should shake a stick at them, though. Neo is a pass-through nonprofit. What that means is it doesn't have its own money. Instead, it acts as a clearinghouse for foundation money to go to all sorts of different groups, primarily activist groups. So just to kind of lay that out, what they, how Neo works is they take money from somebody like Open Society Foundation or the MacArthur Foundation, route it into Neo, and then Neo distributes it to its pro- whatever projects it's trying to carry out. And that's right. And we've tracked some $390 million uh, worth of, of this kind of pass-through funding since 2010. These go to all sorts of left-wing uh, think tanks, activist groups, but also litigation groups, nonprofits like the ACLU, for instance. Uh, so, and who are some of the top top funding groups that are putting money into the NEO pass-through clearinghouse? You mentioned a few of them, the more famous ones like George Soros's Open Society Foundations. We've also counted the Carnegie Corporation of New York, uh, the Ford and Tides Foundations, the MacArthur Foundation, and then the Bauman Family Foundation, which is the personal foundation of Patricia Bauman, who's a, a top-tier member of the Democracy Alliance, which is a similar kind of coordinating, yeah, coordinating, a coordinating network for That's right. liberal yeah. funders. Uh, so NEO doesn't just do funding. It also does fiscal sponsorship. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so NEO offers a unique service to the left in that it, it operates what they call uh, incubating programs. So NEO and its, uh, its own 501c4 arm, the NEO Philanthropy Action Fund, host some 60-odd projects. So these are groups without tax-exempt status that, to the naked eye, look like standalone activist groups or think tanks or groups of that nature. In reality, what they are are effectively line-item budgets for NEO and its, its uh, action arm. 
So these things cover a huge swath of issue areas, as you might expect. We've counted groups that, that advocate for citizenship for illegal immigrants. Um, we found that they formerly hosted, they actually incubated, the environmentalist news site Inside Climate News, which is pretty well known, but also mm. groups as radical as Linda Sarsour's Empower Change, which pushes Islamic immigration advocacy. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand, tell us a little bit about the history of NEO. I understand they come out of the that so-called consumer activism, that Naderite movement of the of the late 1970s, is that right? Yeah, so NEO actually is an interesting history. It's about a 40-year-old organization, um, and it's the product of one of the less known but more important, quote-unquote, Nader's Raiders. So these were mostly college-age activists in the mid-late 1970s who created a huge portion of the modern left's institutions, uh, some of which we've covered in the past. Uh, guy I'm talking about them, is... Them, like the uh, public interest research groups. That's exactly right. The public interest research groups are PERCs, which are part of the public interest network. Massive organization on the left. The guy in particular I'm talking about is Donald Ross. Donald Ross is an interesting man. He actually co-authored Action for a Change in 1971 with Ralph Nader. Obviously now Ralph Nader is the one that everybody remembers in that. But Action for a Change is actually the blueprint... Uh, guide for creating the public interest research groups, the networks that we see today. Well, Ross created NEO um, under its original name in 1983. That's Public Interest Projects. You can see the name similarity there. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely an inspiration. Mm -hmm. And he ran that um, after running a group called New York Public Interest Research Group, New York PERG. New York PERG's actually been called one of the more effective uh, advocacy groups in New York State. The way these things work is that they, they live off of student fees um, imposed by universities that students vote on every couple of years, and they use that money to pass it through the various networks to do lobbying at the state level, mostly on consumer issues, but also on things like um, anti-nuclear energy activism. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, Barack Obama was very briefly in the mid-1980s while he was at Columbia Law, Stu Law School, Barack Obama was a, an activist for New York PERG. So, um, probably brushed shoulders with, with Ross at yeah, some point. Might, definitely might have. So uh, now that we've covered the history, what, uh, what is neophilanthropy? What are they doing now? What is, what is their, uh, their major targets and advocacy? Yeah, well, besides moving cash and uh, fiscally sponsoring hundred, dozens of groups, rather, uh, I, I think its biggest target is, is a group called uh, the Funders Committee for Civic Participation. So this is, this is another project hosted by NEO, one of its quote-unquote donor collaboratives, uh, and it targets the 2020 census from a few different angles. So the Funders Committee is not actually a group that moves money, right? As a project of neo-philanthropy, it's kind of a, a donor affinity group. So it's for top-tier funders on the left. We calculate that so it's... So basically, so what do you mean by an affinity group? Is they all get together, they collaborate, communicate, coordinate strategy... Uh, coordinate who they're giving money to, who's who's going to take the lead on what issue, kind of that sort of thing? It is. Think of it like a an issue-specific version of the more famous Democracy Alliance, which I think mm -hmm. most people know, or more people know, rather. Um, like the Democracy Alliance, it's not about moving money itself. Rather, it's about bringing together the people who do move huge gobs of money together to focus them in different areas, except mm -hmm. that the Funders Committee focuses it just on anything tied to the 2020 census. Mm -hmm. Um, but this also means things like voter registration and turnout in, in 2020 and, uh, well, in 2018 as well. Um, but it also means things like 
funding groups that litigate against Republican-drawn congressional maps mm -hmm. in places like North Carolina. Right. Right? Which, which of course, uh, a couple weeks ago we discussed on this podcast the decision by the Supreme Court that limited their ability to conduct that sort of litigation. Exactly right. So, and you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't underestimate the Funders Committee, even if it's not very well known. It's got about 90 members. Well, we crunched the numbers and found that in 2016 alone, the 90 odd members spent close to 5.7 billion dollars with a B. So, Hayden, just to help the listeners out, who are some of the members of the Funders Committee for Civic Participation that they might have heard of? Right. Well, they range from a huge variety of different groups on the left. So you have your major foundations, like the Joyce Foundation or the Rockefeller Family Fund. Interestingly, you have major companies like Arabella Advisors, which some of our listeners may know runs a massive um, uh, nonprofit network. You interestingly have the Democracy Alliance, itself a kind of convening hub, but you also have major unions like the AFL-CIO and the National Education Association. So it really runs the game. This all sounds pretty idea. This all sounds pretty ideological, bordering on partisan. <laughs> well, I would say so. Yeah, I don't think there's anything philanthropic or charitable about trying to get uh, higher voter turnout to support uh, left-wing and democratic causes. And you can tell because this is run by a guy named Eric Marshall. And his last job was with State Voices, which is the left-wing voter turnout group. So it's run by and paid for by people who have explicitly partisan uh, goals. So, you know, talking a little bit about how they actually go about doing this, they have a model which is cynically called the Integrated Voter Engagement Model. It's seven steps starting with register voters and ending with achieve policy impact. So this is a yeah, thing that, that... sounds an awful lot like winning elections. <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah, it's what you'd expect the Republican Democratic parties to have on their websites too, right? Uh, and they're, they're all over current issues related to the census. Uh, just late last year, after the Trump administration announced it wanted to put a citizenship question on the 2020 census, um, Funders Committee didn't mind announcing on its website it had a, quote, emergency call about how to kill that, mm -hmm. that citizenship question. And then, you know, do they have any sort of connections to maybe elected officials? I'd say they're popular with the Democratic Party. Uh, their website actually has a video, funny enough, from the now disgraced uh, Senator Al Franken from yes, 2017. Franken. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say that often enough, perhaps. Uh, this, and he was talking about how the census is critical in, quote, determining how many seats in Congress are allocated and, quote, I know you're working hard to make sure that it goes smoothly. So we're definitely talking about partisanship, uh, fake charity. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly ideological advocacy and alignment. Well, that's our show for this week, and thank you, Hayden, for joining us. Uh, you can find our full profile of neophilanthropy at capitalresearch.org. And Hayden, what is the title? Uh, or it's just look up neophilanthropy, and it's right there. The left-wing coordinator of choice. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.